Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about something that I feel like we all struggle with at some point, uh, at many points, when we're trying to raise our kids who have anxiety or OCD. And that is, you know, wanting to make the anxiety or OCD go away for our child. And so a lot of times we put the burden 100% on ourselves, or we feel like if we can learn all the things that we need to do, we can get rid of this annoying thing that's destroying our child's happiness and our families. And there's lots of different ways it shows up for each one of us, depending on our own childhood, our own background, our own mental health, but we want to help our child with their anxiety or OCD. And we just want to take it away. I'm going to talk about the different responses that each one of us tend to do at some point or another. I'm going to talk about why they don't work, even though they seem very intuitive and what we can do instead. So stick with me and hopefully I will hit on something that you're like, oh gosh, yes, (laughs) that's me. And I can hopefully inspire you to do something a little bit different. That's going to really help your child long-term. But before we get started, I want to let you know that this podcast episode is sponsored by NoCD. And I appreciate that. They provide online OCD therapy in the U S the UK, Australia, and Canada. It's very hard to find a pediatric OCD therapist. It's even harder to find one that's affordable and they do both and it's virtual, which I really appreciate. So you can schedule your free 15 minute consultation just to even see if no CD is a right fit for you. Won't cost you anything. You just go to treatmyocd.com. I also recommend parents go and get an assessment. So if your child has anxiety and you're like, I don't know, I mean, some of the things that Natasha talks about sound like OCD, but I'm not sure you can just get an assessment. You don't have to sign up for therapy. Just you know, call an OCD and get an assessment for your child. And then you get peace of mind that, oh, my child only has anxiety or, oh yeah, I am missing the OCD component. Because as I always say, OCD is anxiety's bigger, badder cousin. And we have to handle that bigger, badder cousin in a slightly different way than anxiety. In fact, I have episodes about talking about the difference between anxiety and OCD, which is episode 104. I actually had to just pause this and go look. Episode 104, I'll tell you the difference between anxiety and OCD. I actually have on my YouTube channel also an episode on that. And it's important to understand the difference because you're going to approach them differently. So that is why it's really helpful to get full assessment. Okay. I want to talk to you today about the things that we do to take away or what we think is going to take away our child's anxiety or OCD and why it doesn't work. So I find that, and maybe you realize this too, but I find that we respond differently to our child's anxiety or OCD based on our own experiences. And you really have to look at yourself and how you're interacting with your child's anxiety or OCD, because that's very, it's a missing component that a lot of times we don't look at. We look at our child separate from the whole dynamic, and we look at their issue as clinical and separate from us. Although anxiety and OCD are highly genetic and, you know, our kids have a, you know, they might have a predisposition to get anxiety or OCD or disorder, or they might have pandas or pans, which cause inflammation that cause anxiety or OCD. 
they are still not in a vacuum. They interact with us and we bring things to the table. So even though we didn't cause their anxiety or OCD, how we interact with it can make the situation better or it can make the situation rougher. And none of us want to make it rougher for our kids, but we want to look at our dynamic. We want to look at how we're interacting with our child's anxiety or OCD. We want to look at our role and really define it in a way that we probably wouldn't naturally do so that we stay in our lane and know what we're doing versus what our child is doing. What I find drives a lot of the parenting response is a couple of different factors, which I'll go into, but we won't dive too deep into them. So depending on how you were raised, right? So your childhood plays a huge role in how you show up as a parent, regardless of anxiety or OCD. And I find that really interesting. And if you want a deeper dive on that, because that is a really interesting topic, I would look at episode 124, which is titled how your childhood influences how you parent an anxious child. And you can just replace that also with, with OCD. I also have, I'm trying to think, I think that's it. I have other articles on my website at atparentingsurvival.com, but they're not podcasts. So I won't go into that. But if we had like a very authoritative parent, we might want to be the opposite of that, or we might emulate that. So it shows up in lots of different ways. And if you had anxiety or OCD, how your parents interacted with that will drive a lot of how you want to interact with your child. And so you might say, you know, no one ever heard me or validated my struggles or saw my struggles. And so I'm going to see my child's struggles and I'm going to, I can empathize with what they're going through. I can feel it myself. And so that can impact how you show up. So you really want to dive into your own childhood. And that's a good thing to do anyway, as a parent, because it is fascinating how that influences our parenting. So check out that episode because I'll dive much deeper into that topic. But then also we look at our own mental health and other relatives' mental health. And so that can be driving your behavior too, whether you have your own anxiety or OCD or whether you have a close relative that you have grown up with who has anxiety or OCD. And that can drive things in different ways. It can make you more anxious because you don't want them to be like your brother or your dad or it can make you overly empathetic because you still have your own struggles. And so everything's triggering you and you don't want your child to feel those triggers too. And so you cocoon them. Okay. (laughs) So those are all the many, many, many factors that can influence how you're parenting. So the different responses, I'm going to generalize. Please, you don't have to email me and tell me you missed my response or I don't respond that way. I'm just giving you an overall generalization of how many parents respond. Obviously, there are definitely different grays in everything we talk about, but for simplicity's sake, I'm just going to go over a couple of them. So the first response is, I don't want my child to have anxiety or OCD, so I'm going to cocoon them. I'm going to make sure that they're not triggered. If I know that this thing bothers them or this thing will trigger their anxiety or OCD, I'm going to make sure that thing doesn't happen. So if I can smooth out that road, I'm going to do that. And so one way that I'm going to make my child's anxiety or OCD go away is I'm going to make sure that they don't have to deal with it. So if calling a friend is a struggle, I'll call for them. Or if sleeping in their own room is a struggle, they can sleep with me. Now there, I always have to, you know, qualify that statement with there is like a family bed and that's a philosophical thing versus 
I want my child to sleep in their own bed and they can't. So there is a difference, but I try to smooth out that road. So whatever that is for you. And, and that that's a balancing act. We'll get into that in a second. The other response on the way opposite end of the spectrum, right? It's kind of like a pendulum. It can swing one way far to the left is cocooning and saying, I don't want my child to struggle at all. And then far to the right is I'm going to discipline this out of you. And so they just need some tough love, right? And you sometimes your partner might have one approach and you might have the other. And so the approach might be, you know, if you don't go do that, you're going to be punished. Or uh, I might have a really sharp tone with you and just get over there and do it. I don't care. Don't be a big baby. Or maybe a little bit softer would be, it's fine. You're fine. There's nothing to worry about. Go do it now. I'm going to count to three. So that's more of an authoritative forced approach. Now, sometimes you get the seesaw parenting. And I see this a lot. I saw this a lot in my practice where one parent is aggressive and is forceful. And the other parent maybe wouldn't be a cocooner. I just made that like a noun. (laughs) Wouldn't be a cocooner, but because they're seeing that aggression, they feel like they have to balance it out. So they become overcompensating and they swing in the opposite end of the spectrum because they want to balance out their partner. So you see a lot of that. And that's very confusing to the child because they have one parent who's, you know, doesn't get it and is really punitive and aggressive and trying to get them to, you know, face their fears. And you have another parent who's completely sheltering. And so neither approach is helpful for a child. And so it gets very confusing for the child because they're getting two very strong messages and they're mixed, right? Um, None of us want to do that, but sometimes that happens in our relationships. Now, the third approach, which is neither one or the other, is an aggressive coach. (laughs) So this is a parent, and maybe you're one of these parents too, who like ferociously like consumes material, listens to these podcasts, watches YouTube videos, takes online classes, goes to the therapy appointments, reads the books, goes to the OCD conference, does everything, right? You're like the most knowledgeable person on this planet. And maybe your child isn't into it, or maybe they are, but you are aggressively coaching your child to the point where you're almost like doing everything for them. So maybe you're forcing exposures, or if you're not forcing exposures, you might be overly aggressively having your kids face their fears and you know more than your child does. And you feel like the more you put into this, as long as you can just learn more and more and more, you will rid your child of anxiety or OCD because this is your job. It's your responsibility. And if you're doing a good job, your child will have reduced anxiety or OCD. And if you're doing a poor job, your child's symptoms will continue to increase. That's the story you're telling yourself. That's not good either. I'm going to talk about why. Okay. Those are three generalizations of different approaches that we can take. Now, most of us don't fit in that category all the time. You might move out of that category. You might actually bounce into different categories. You might not even be in any of those categories because life isn't about fitting into a box, but a lot of us touch on those things for different reasons. I might cocoon because I have anxiety or OCD myself. And so I, when I see fear in my child's eye, I get it. I empathize, not only do I empathize, but I feel it. I am actually enmeshed. I can feel my child's pain. I not only sympathize with them, but I empathize to the point where their pain is my pain. And so I cocoon them for both of us. I don't want to feel that struggle. And I don't want you to ever have to feel that struggle. So I know the things that are going to upset you and trigger you. And I'm going to try to clear that 
get that off your plate so you don't have to feel those bumps. Or I married someone who's really aggressive and doesn't understand your anxiety or OCD and I feel so bad for you, so I'm going to swing in the opposite direction. Or my parents didn't understand me in my childhood and I'm going to understand you to the point where I'm going to over-empathize and make sure. So it happens for different reasons. The discipline, same thing, right? Maybe it's coming from fear. I don't, like my father had severe bipolar. So when I see bipolar tendencies in my kids, even if it's minor or not even bipolar, my fear factor goes up because I think, oh my gosh, I don't want to raise an adult who turns out to be like my dad. That did not go well. And that was really rough. So that could drive fear, which sometimes can turn into discipline, like forced discipline to like snap them out of it or aggressively coaching, right? So we want to look at not only how we're responding, but why we're responding that way. Why am I responding this way? What am I bringing to the table that's making me respond this way? What fear is driving this? Because all of it comes from fear, right? Our own fear. We often don't look at that. I have a lot of parents who are like, hey, I don't have anxiety or OCD. So this isn't about me at all. It is because you're the parent and you're interacting with anxiety or OCD, whether you think you are or not and how you show up for it completely has everything to do with you and not your child. Isn't that crazy? But it's true. So we want to know why, not only how you're responding, but why you're responding that way. And now I'm going to talk about why these things don't work and not in a like wag your, my finger at you sort of way, but educationally, because I will have some parents that will push back and say, this is fine. This worked for me, or this is fine. This isn't what I got. And this is what I would have wanted to have. And so I'm going to just talk about why these different approaches don't work. And then we're going to talk about what we can do, because I'm never one to have an entire episode where I say, don't do this, don't do that. And then leave you hanging (laughs) where you're like, well, then what should I do, Natasha? We will get to that. Don't you fret. So let's talk about why it doesn't work. Okay. If you cocoon your child, I have a lot of parents who, and these tend to be not always, but they tend to be parents who have their own anxiety. I can tell when a parent has anxiety a mile away. And often those parents tell me that they do not have anxiety and they'll tell me they don't know where this is coming from. (laughs) So you may not even realize that you are really an anxious person. So you have to be honest with yourself because I've had parents say, yeah, anxiety doesn't run in my family, but I can completely tell that this parent is a very anxious parent. Maybe they're just anxious about their child, but the way they're showing up to their child's problems is very anxiety oriented. And so they want to make sure they say, it's just so hard to see my child suffer, or it's just so hard to know that they're going to be in pain, or I don't want them to be in discomfort. And so they cocoon them. But the problem with cocooning is that it's kind of like giving your child, I have a couple of different analogies, so stick with me. You know, I'm like the analogy queen, but it's kind of like giving your child a wetsuit because you want to teach them how to survive the cold water right? A lot of times we talk about in the habituation model, we talk about jumping into the cold water so you can acclimate, you can get used to the cold water. The water is still cold. Other people jump in and woo, it's freezing. But the person who's been sitting in the water has habituated to it. They've gotten used to it, right? And so when you put a wetsuit on your child, they're not getting used to discomfort. They are being protected and they think they're in the water. They think they're going through life and they're doing hard things. But what they don't realize is that you have put a wetsuit on them. And so when they get out in the real world, when they're dealing with other teachers or other friends, or they're dealing with other people or bosses or real life, all the many, many people they're going to have to deal with and all the many, many struggles they're going to have, the wetsuit's coming off and burr, it's cold. 
I don't know how to deal with this. I can't deal with discomfort because I never had to before. So, and here's my next analogy, right? When we pave the road for them, we're like two steps ahead. They're driving their car and we're up a mile making sure there's no bumps. And if we see one, we're smoothing out that road. Our child thinks they know how to drive and they're navigating. The minute we stop jumping up ahead, which eventually we have to stop doing because we're not on this journey with our kids forever. Eventually they, hopefully, we all want our kids to be independent. They're going to go off into the real world and we're not going to be there every step of the way. We don't want an adult who has to call their mom or dad and say, mom, you know, I, my landlord's calling me and I'm having a problem. I can't handle it. Or mom, you know, I can't go to my job interview alone. Can you come with me? We don't, none of us want to raise an adult who's like that, right? Because that's not good for the adult. That's not good for their self-esteem. And so when we stop paving the road and they start to hit the road and they're in the car on a real road for the first time, they're going to hit a bump and they're going to skid off the highway and it will be devastating. <laughs> that sounded very alarmist. Alarmistic? That's definitely not a word. It sounded like I was very alarming. I'm not trying to scare, but I'm trying to make my analogies and my metaphors work. So we don't want a cocoon. We don't want to have them hit so many bumps in the road that they're flying off the road when they're like a child in childhood, but we don't want to smooth it out completely. And so we're going to talk about balance in the next part of this podcast. That's the struggle with cocooning. Now let's go into some other ones because you might say, well, yeah, that's exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing. That's exactly why I'm forcing them to, you know, go out there and face their fears. I'm, I'm not going to raise a kid who's going to be dictated by their anxiety or OCD. It's not going to happen under my watch, (laughs) right? So you just have to discipline it out of them or some tough love. If you don't coddle them, like you were just describing, they're going to learn how to be tough. They're going to toughen up. No wetsuit over here in my house, (laughs) right? Well, there are some problems with that too. When we're too much like that, then our kids learn to hide it. They learn to feel ashamed of their anxiety or OCD. They learn to have guilt and they learn to have some self-loathing. And so they feel broken and they can't express it to anyone. And so they stuff it. And when you stuff your anxiety and OCD, it can manifest in physical symptoms. You can wind up getting more physical ailments. You can actually get diseases. Your immune system can weaken, and you're never going to share it with other people. So you're going to live a life of shame. You're never going to want to reach out and get help because you're being trained at a young age that it's not okay, that you're not normal, it's not acceptable, and that you need to grin, grit, grit and bear it. I don't know why I can't speak today, but you get my point. And so we never, ever want anxiety or OCD to go what I call undercover. When it goes undercover, it becomes a solo journey. It becomes a lonely journey. And we don't want our kids to get depressed. We don't want them to get suicidal ideation. We don't want them to feel alone and different in the world. And that's what you see in adults who have had to hide their anxiety or OCD, who have been shamed, who feel like they're alone and they're different there's something wrong with them. And that isn't what any of us want for our kids, but that is the unintended outcome of doing that to our kids. And so we want to normalize it. We want to empower our kids and we don't want to shame them. So when we strong arm them to do things that they don't want to do, and we strong arm them to face their fears without really taking the necessary steps to understand them, that's what we're inadvertently doing. So we're we're swinging from one direction all the way to the other, both extremes, not the best, right? 
Let's talk about the third one. Because, you know, I think it's obvious, the cocooning, right? We, we get where that can kind of go wrong. The forceful discipline, we get where that can go wrong. But the aggressive coach, we don't really talk enough about the aggressive coach. And I see the aggressive coach probably more often than I see your other example that I just gave because of the work that I do online, right? So I have some, you know, we have the AT Parenting community and we have members in there. I had my practice for a long time. So anyone who's going to show up to those things typically aren't going to be category number two. (laughs) They might have partners who are the forceful disciplinarians who are kind of like suck it up buttercup kind of attitude. So a lot of people have partners like that in the AT parenting community or in my practice, but they're not going to be seeking therapy and they're not going to be joining an AT parenting community like group that is about anxiety or OCD if they have that mentality. The cocooning, yes, they would join some of those things, but a lot of those times those parents quickly leave my membership because they get overwhelmed with what they're hearing, you know, as far as how to empower their kids and face their fears, they get triggered and they leave. I'll get like a random email. I'll say, whoa, I can't, your, your community is overwhelming, you know, and they'll, they'll leave very quickly. And that's because of their issues, their struggles that they need to go work on. And sometimes I'll suggest, you know, go and do some individual work and then come back. But a lot of times they don't want to hear that. So, but we don't talk about the aggressive coach and that is knowing what is your battle and what is your child's battle. And the reason why being an aggressive coach is not helpful either, and these are easy ones to fall into. So, you know, no beating yourself up about these things. I have been all three of these at various times for, for different reasons. I might cocoon my kids for things that overwhelm my anxiety. So I am much more likely to cocoon my kids for social anxiety or choking for discipline. When my kids are getting their blood work and they are really amping up, they trigger my anxiety. I'm afraid they're going to throw up or pass out because that is literally what my kids do when they get their blood work taken. And because they all have autoimmune issues, they have to get blood work a lot. I will often snap and get angry and discipline, you know, hold it together. You know, you're fine. Even though I know as I'm even saying it, it's not the right thing to say. My anxiety sometimes gets the best of me. I'm in both of those categories, depending on what's going on. And so these aren't like I'm in this category exclusively. You can bounce categories depending on the situation and how it triggers you or how you interact with that situation. I'm also an aggressive coach where my kids have said, no, mom, like back off. I'm not doing it. And I've been aggressively trying to empower them, (laughs) which is not always good. So the reason why that's not okay is because they become dependent on you. So you're the fixer. So when I'm having a hard time, I know my mom is going to, or my dad is going to problem solve this for me. They're going to tell me what to do. They're going to tell me how to think. They're going to tell me step-by-step and I'm going to just follow those directions. So I never have to think about it myself. So, oh, I'm having a panic attack. Well, I go to my mom and she says, go get some ice or go, you know, look at your iPad or go. And so every time I have a panic attack, I go to my mom because she's the one that calms me down. Or every time I'm afraid I'm going to throw up, I go to my mom and mom says, you're not going to throw up. You're fine. And I feel better. Or my mom says, you know, this is your anxiety. And I say, are you sure? And yeah, you know, this is your anxiety. And now I feel better. I become dependent on my parent. And so when we're aggressively coaching and we're not teaching them how to be their own coach, we'll get into that in a second then they become dependent. And as a secondary issue, if they're prone to this, you can start to see separation anxiety. 
People think separation anxiety is a toddler thing, but clinical separation anxiety is not. It is. It starts normally elementary school. I saw a lot of separation anxiety starting seventh, eighth grade. And it often happens when there's a primary anxiety or OCD issue, and then the parent kind of became an aggressive coach and the child became dependent. Now, there's a lot of other reasons why separation anxiety is created, but in this conversation, that's often why that can happen. So we want to be careful that our kids are not dependent on us to to regulate, to problem solve, to calm them down. That doesn't mean that we can never do those things. It just means that our goal is to eventually get them to be independent. We want our kids to be independent, even if that means when they're anxious or when they're trying to regulate, they learn you know, I'm going to go call my friend or I'm going to go talk to my mom, but it's them doing things for themselves and not us doing things to them. And there is a difference. Okay. So what can we do? Okay, Natasha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Those are all not helpful things, but what can we do? What we can do is actually quite simple because there's only so much that we can control. And so we have to educate ourselves. A lot of times we don't invest enough in educating ourselves. So some of you might say, why do I have to educate myself when you just told me I can't do any of those things? I can't aggressively coach anyway. So what's the point? Well, you need to know what you're about to teach. And so when you're a coach for your child, and that, that is our role, our role is a coach. We coach our kids how to use the skills for themselves. And sometimes we have to coach our kids to be motivated to help themselves. So if our kids don't want to use skills or learn skills, then as a coach, our job is to educate them about anxiety or OCD, or our, our coaching might be how to open up communication, or our coaching might be how to build trust. But there is a linear way that we have to work on things. And some of us get to skip those because our child's already ahead of the game, but it starts with building up trust. So if you have trust with your child, that's step one, then we have to have good communication. So I need you to be able to tell me things and that I can tell you things. And we have a good communication. So we have to build up communication. I do have podcasts on all of this. So if you want to learn how to make better communication with your child, I have a lots of, I have different episodes. I have an episode 111 is want your kids to talk to you. Why your reaction matters. I'm trying to see if I have any other ones. I know I have more, but they're not popping up. If you go to my website at atparentingsurvival.com, go into the search button and you'll find that. But definitely episode 111 is want your kids to talk to you while your reaction matters. And so learning how to build communication is really important. And maybe I need to make another episode on that because I actually don't have a lot on that, but we want to work on communication. So there's trust, communication. And if you don't have those two things, everything else is going to be really hard. And so you know, I, I do a free series twice a year called survival skills for parents who are raising kids with anxiety and OCD. And I kind of go through this and I talk about, so if you have never taken that series, stay tuned. I think I'm going to be doing that one early December. So if you're not on my email list, you can get on my email list and you'll be notified about that. But if you don't have the communication and the trust, everything else that you're going to do as a coach is going to fall flat because your child can't communicate with you and they don't trust you. So a lot of times I'll tell parents, there's always something we need to be doing. You just have to figure out what it is you need to be doing. It's not hundred percent linear. These are the steps, but you might, 
your child might developmentally turn into a tween or teen and boom, now you're back at communication and trust because developmentally they change over time. Your relationship changes over time. Something might've happened and your child, you know, has lost some trust in you or if you've lost some trust in your child, you have to go back and work on that. So there's communication and then there's motivation, right? So we have trust, communication, motivation. If my child's not motivated to work on any of their stuff, then it doesn't matter how many skills I try to teach him. It doesn't matter how many therapy appointments I schedule. If there's no motivation, everything's falling flat. So these are things that stack on top of each other. It's kind of like mathematics, which I shouldn't use as an example because I'm not that great at math. But it's like if I don't know my timetables and I can't do division, right? Math stacks on each other. So if you missed one main component of math, you're going to struggle. You're not going to be able to do algebra if you missed multiplication, right? Or division. They build on each other. And the same thing is true with these things. If we don't have the trust, the communication, the motivation in that order, then we're not going to be able to build the skills. And we want to do it in that order. But like I said, it's not linear, right? We go back and we go forth and we can be working on multiple things at the same time. So the first thing is I'm going to figure out as a coach, what area am I trying to work on with my kids? Sometimes we just move right into skill building because the most obvious thing is ERP. Okay. I know I need to do exposure with response prevention, which if you don't know what that is, I have done episodes on those. That is the gold standard treatment for OCD and very good for anxiety. And I am looking for an episode, episode 53 ERP for OCD and anxiety, what it is and why it's so effective. So got questions. There are answers in that episode. We want to educate our kids. So often we understand tons about anxiety or OCD. If you've taken classes or read books or listened to this podcast, but how much does your child know? So we're not doing this to them. We're doing it with them. So you're a coach and you're teaching your child how to be their own coach. When I used to do therapy back in the day in February, I closed my practice after my husband just died in February. For those of you that don't know me, when I did therapy, I would say to the kids that came into my practice, I would say, I'm going to teach you how to be your own therapist. So I didn't do therapy to kids. I did therapy with kids. And then slowly I pulled back my involvement, even as a therapist. And I would say, okay, now what would be your exposure? Or now what would you tell yourself? What would be your next step? How do you know how to find the next theme? How do you know when it's anxiety or OCD? How can you spot these things? I was teaching them how to be their own therapist. And I would say that, and that's what you want to do. You're a coach and you are coaching your kids how to be their own coach. And so over time, you're going to pull back the things that you are doing for them. It doesn't mean you pull back right away. It means that that's your intention. I'm teaching you this. Now I pull back and I'm going to watch you do it. Then I'm teaching you this. I'm pulling back and now you're going to do it. So the best mentality to have as a parent is to say to yourself, How can I get my kid to do this for themselves? So I'm going to give them as much as they need me to give them. And then I'm going to pull back. And when we see our kids sit in discomfort, it's really important for us to remember that that is building their tolerance for discomfort. And when they have more tolerance for discomfort, anxiety and OCD will not impact their life nearly as much. Because if I can handle those upsetting thoughts, if I can handle facing my fears and doing hard things and feeling shaky, but doing it anyway, over time on my own watch with my own volition, doing it because I want to, or I've been motivated to do it, whether it's extrinsic motivation or 
internal motivation. It doesn't matter. Sometimes people get into debates with me about, you know, waving a carrot or, you know, giving bravery points or whatever. It's okay to externally motivate your kids. And for those of you that are Ross Green lovers and are like, but Ross Green says, and I love Ross Green and the CPS model. And I'm typing here because I'm going to find you the episode where I talked to him and he and I talked about this. Episode 75, I talked to Ross Green and we talked about, you know, reinforcements for doing exposures. And then I talked in episode 76, I kind of go through how the CPS model and ERP can work together because sometimes that gets confusing when you're being told what to do from different philosophies and they don't coincide. But our job is to get our kids to just do these things. They will rewire their neural pathways. We go way into it, into those episodes. So I'm not going to go into it here. But our job as a coach is to get our kids motivated to do those things, whether it is because they're trying to earn something or not. Earning something, they will make it harder and harder so that they continue to move forward. And when I do something that's hard, I am learning that I'm okay. I can do this really hard thing, or I can sit in this discomfort and I can get through it. And that's the goal. And so as long as I am motivated to do that hard thing, the learning will happen no matter what. I will realize, okay, that was a really hard thing and I did it. And so we have to always be asking ourselves, what am I trying to teach my kid? How am I going to teach them to do that? And I want to explain to them why I'm doing this. So let me think of some concrete examples to go into to just solidify this theme. I mean, this talk. I am like tired today. (laughs) I have to just tell you, I am really tired because I could tell when my brain is just not firing on all cylinders. We went to Utah, total tangent. So sorry about that, but this is how my podcast goes. Went to Utah, talk about facing fears. You know, I've been trying to do things that are uncomfortable for me since all this has happened in our world. So we drove up to Utah and we went camping. It's glamping. So I really can't even, you know, it's not true camping. It's like under canvas is this like beautiful, you ever seen under canvas? You should check them out. They're not sponsoring this podcast. They're just really cool, but they're like tents, but like there's, they're like quasi tents because there are actual beds in the tents and whatever. So it's not really like roughing it, but so we drove back from Utah and it was like 10 hours because we did it very, very slowly. But the night before there was like this crazy howling. We were in Zion National Park or we were like near it. And there was like howling all night. Nobody heard it but me. So I'm not sure about my sanity, but I was up like all night long. So I'm very tired. <laughs> so that that is why I can't speak a, the language today, but I'm doing okay for considering all of that. So let me think of an example for you. I thought of one because I just wanted to walk you through a full example. And they're hard when your brain's not working, they're harder to come up with. (laughs) But I think I thought of one. So my youngest daughter has sensory motor OCD, which for those of you that don't know what that is, you can listen to episode 131 and I will talk all about it. I am big today on giving you further information. So, you know, it's about hyper-focusing on your body, different things. It shows up differently for different people. But for her, it's her bladder, which is very common. And she has to pee like a million times an hour. It, you might think, oh, that's not that bad or that's not OCD. But when you're literally peeing like 40, 50 times a, an hour, that's like crazy disruptive. That's disruptive in the classroom. We can't go anywhere. We can't like go out to eat or we can't definitely can't go on road trips or can't go 
flying, you know, that's very triggering. We still did those things, but it was painful because you knew you're signing up for, you know, a really rough road. So I'm going to actually walk you through this with this example. So I can really bring this whole episode together. So I could cocoon her, right? Going back to the different responses. And I could just never do a road trip or actually one of my sisters suggested when we were talking about this current road trip that we just did, when I was telling her about, you know, her problems said, well, why don't you just get a toilet in the back of the, you know, the car, they have like those camper toilets or whatever. Well, that would be cocooning, right? Giving her a solution that really is feeding the anxiety or OCD. I'm I'm problem solving. Like I had one time I had a client who had seen a therapist before me who was not an anxiety or OCD therapist, maybe an anxiety therapist, but definitely not OCD. And her solution for the child's having issues around germs in the toilet was for the child to put on gloves every time they went to the bathroom. Yes, short-term, that solves the problem. Long-term, OCD will find something else to to be concerned with because you can't rationalize with OCD. You can't problem-solve with OCD, but that's a whole other story. So I could cocoon her. I could say, okay, we'll never fly. And for the road trip, we'll just make sure that we only travel in places that will have like a bathroom stop every five miles and we will always stop at the bathroom. So that would be cocooning. I could shame her, well, or force her to just, you know, deal with it and have her screaming and crying and just being like, that's now it's going to be, I could aggressively coach, coach her. I can't think of an example in that sense right now, but what I did do is I educated her. So the first step I worked on our communication and our trust. And with her, I already had that established just as a parent. I didn't have that with my son. He's not in this example, but with him, I had to really go backwards and, and we can use him as an example too really work on our communication. So for a while I had to pause everything related to OCD and just work on him opening up to me in general. So different kid, different issue, but back to her. So talked about what sensory motor OCD is. I talked about that OCD wants you to go to the bathroom, but the more you go to the bathroom, the more you're going to have to go to the bathroom because you're feeding OCD. So we went through all this. We named OCD, it's Mr. O. And we talked about how the feeling is real, right? So it's not in your head. It's actually in your body. You feel that your bladder is full and it does feel real. Just like with the metaphobia, the fear of throwing up, that nausea is real. When you tell them it's all in their head, they'll say, no, it's all in my stomach. And they're right. It is in their stomach. So we want to validate and that builds up the trust and it helps the communication to say, I get that this is uncomfortable. But when you go through that discomfort and you tolerate the discomfort, something magical happens. The discomfort often, not always, but often goes away or you learn that you can handle the discomfort, right? And so I educated her and then I motivated her. And so then we started to do exposures where I would say, how long do you want to go without peeing? And at the beginning, it was like five minutes, 10 minutes, because when you highlight something and say, you can't do it, You want to do more of it, right? If I said to you right now, okay, don't move your left leg. We're going to count for 30 seconds. Don't move your left leg. Ready? Let's go. Did you move your left leg? Are you feeling uncomfortable about your left leg? (laughs) Right? You're like, oh my gosh, my left leg feels weird now, Natasha. Don't do that. It's the same thing when we do exposures. It's like that itch is stronger because you're highlighting it and that's on purpose. And so we did exposures. And so she learned how to, you know, 
set up a time and then not pee and write down that time for a little while and show herself over time. I can go three and eventually it grew and it grew. I eventually had to tell her, you do need to pee. You know, like after four hours or five hours, it, it's good to pee, right? Well, let's not see if you can go eight hours without peeing. What is normal versus what is OCD, right? So we talked about all of that and replace her issue with your child's issue. It doesn't matter. The framework is the same. So we're educating them. We're communicating. We are motivating. And so she would earn bravery points, which she could get for, I have a store, like a virtual store, and she could turn in her points for things that she wanted. Initially, she wanted a lot of Barbies. Actually, she was into something else that, oh, LOL dolls. She was way into LOL dolls for a while. And so we'd find them on sale and we'd have a basket of LOL dolls and she would earn those as she progressed. But then I pulled back because I am her coach and I'm teaching her to be her own coach. So she would say, mom, now that she's nine, she doesn't, she's like, I'm having OCD about this. And so instead of saying, you need to do blah, 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 blah. I say to her, what do you need to be doing? That's it. I pull back because I've already trained her. So I pull back and she'll say, okay, well, I need to do some exposures. I'm like, okay. When we were getting ready for this trip, and I think I already talked to you about this in the other episode, uh, maybe last week's episode, when we were getting ready for this trip, I said to her, maybe I didn't. Sometimes I do live classes in the AT parenting community each week. And I, sometimes I get confused with what I share with them and what I share with you on my podcast. So I actually may be wrong. I think I might've shared that in one of my classes, but in the AT parenting community doors are closed, but you can learn more about it at atparentingcommunity.com. We will open them back up probably at the end of the year. So um, just a little, little plug in there for my community, but I pulled back. And so when we were getting ready to go to Utah, I said to her, I didn't cocoon her and not tell her that we're going to be going on a seven hour road trip and avoid the the drama that was going to ensue and just wait until we get on the road and see how she handles it. No, I mean, a week or it was like a week before our trip. I said to her, we're going to go, it's a seven hour road trip. And then I knew instantly when I said that I was going to see panic in her face because she knew we were going on this trip, but they're kids. They don't realize that it's going to be a very long road trip or that we're going to really be in the middle of nowhere for a long period of time. And so I said to her, it's a, it's a seven hour road trip. And she said, Oh my gosh, are there any bathrooms? And I said, there will be some, and I will map them out. So I know where they are. And I know that they're open, but there'll be gaps there. There could be two or three hour gaps in between. And there are going from Phoenix to Utah. And she said, Oh my gosh, well that, I, I don't know if I can do that. And I said, we're going to do it. So what can you do to prepare, right? Ball in her court. Now, I wouldn't do that early on in her struggle, but I've trained her. And so I want to see, can she think of things herself? I'm not going to spoon feed her solutions. I'm not going to tell her it's going to all be okay. I'm not going to tell her that, you know, we're going to fix this for her. I'm not going to tell her she needs to do exposures before we go because that's the aggressive coach. I might have done that in the past, but now I'm always pulling back farther and farther. And so I'd say, what do you need to do to prepare for that then? And she said, thankfully, I need to do exposures. And so I said, okay. And so she did do exposures. And I also told her, we're going to be going through the Narrows. And the Narrows is a hike through the river. It was an all-day hike, which I'm really pushing my kids like way out of their comfort zone. <laughs> we're all going through like this grieving process and like facing all of our fears. And so I have signed us up to do a lot of really cool, but you know, sometimes scary things. And 
that wouldn't be for an adventurous family, but for my kids and for myself, they are very adventurous. We are going to Alaska to see the Northern Lights in November (laughs) by ourselves. So I'm like, I just, you know, when you lose someone close to you, I mean, I guess everybody handles death in a different way, but when I lost my husband, the only thing that I wanted to do was to live life with my kids to its fullest. And so I think life has to be about balance and I didn't have a lot of balance, total side note. And so we are doing really scary things and I will keep you updated on the scary things that we're doing, which may not seem scary to you. They might seem really cool, but when you're used to having your partner do everything with you and he would take care of all the details, I would do all the fun stuff. Just having him with me was always like, I felt good and stable, but anyway, doing difficult things. We have to model what we want our kids to do. And so I said to her, you know, we're going on a hike. It's an all day hike and there are no bathrooms in the middle of the river, but I did look up and this is, I guess the balance, right? It's not that we are letting our kids sink. And so it's not like I'm saying you're going to have to deal with it, right? I don't know what you're going to do, but you're gonna have to deal with it. I do a lot of behind the scenes research. She didn't know this, but I knew every single bathroom stop on that road trip because I needed knowledge. I needed to know how long she was going to have to wait in between bathroom stops and tell her. And I needed to know that they were going to be open because I wasn't going to like say to her, you have two hours and then you're going to stop. And then we wind up going to some deserted bathroom that's been shut down for five years, right? Like when you're on a road trip in the middle of nowhere, that happens a lot. So I did hours and hours of research that she's not privy to where I literally mapped out and favorited on my Google maps, all the bathrooms (laughs) and where they were and how long they were in between each one. She didn't know I had that knowledge because if I told her that would be accommodating her, right? She'd be like, my mom's got this. She knows where each bathroom is. I just told her there's going to be gaps, but there won't be a gap more than three hours because that's where she's at. She needs to know that, but she's going to have to handle that discomfort in between. We're not going to stop. She won't go on the street or like, you know, out in the wilderness anyway, but she needed to know that. So I did look up and I said, I needed to know where the last bathroom was for this narrows hike. And I found out there's a bathroom right before we go on the hike. It's a mile walk to the river. I needed to know all that because the more information that we have, the better we can be an anchor for our kids. It doesn't mean we give them all that information, but because that's reassurance, but having some factual information for them to know what to do with it is important. And so I said to her, there's one bathroom right before, and then there's a, a, a mile walk, and then we get into the river. And then for the rest of the day, you'll have to pee in the river. That's what they tell you to do. She'll never do that. And so she was prepared. And I said, what do you want to do? And so when we actually went, there's a bathroom before you get on the shuttle. And then there's a bathroom like right before you get into the hike. And I said to her, which one would you like to do? And she made that decision for herself. I'll take the very last bathroom. And she did not say a peep about having to pee the entire day. We were gone for, I don't even know how long. It was probably like five, five hours. And she was drinking a lot too. I saw her sucking on her little like mule bag and she's trained for it. She's done a lot of exposures. And so not a peep. That was her, right? That was me giving her breadcrumbs and that that was her doing it. So think about your own child's issues and think about what things could I pull back on or what things could I be more Socratic about, right? Like asking them questions. What do you think you should do? 
you may not be there yet. You might say, I can't do that. My child would like just implode or explode. They don't know. And that's okay. You may not be there, right? Because we talk about building trust, communication, then education. We can't do skills until our kids are 100% educated on what is anxiety or what is OCD. And they can't learn that until they're motivated. So, and they can't be motivated unless they have good communication and trust because we need to be a partnership because they're not dealing with their anxiety and OCD in a bubble, regardless of whether you send them to therapy or not, you're living with them. And so you're part of it. You're a dynamic, whether you want to embrace that or not, it's just a reality. And so you may not be ready to pull back the way that I'm describing, but I built a lot of infrastructure before I am able to do that with my son who has ARFID, um, Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder. If you want to learn more about that, you can check out episode 217. I always think it's good. Or in episode 70, I cover that too. So episode 70 is more like FYI, like this is what ARFID is. And then episode 217 was a very like personal, here's my journey, I will go into it with you. Um, You know, anxiety and OCD run in families and they're rampant. So it's not a surprise that all three of my kids have their own struggles and my, and that I have my struggles. And it's not surprising that if you have one child that you might have other kids who have different issues that show up too, because it's highly genetic. So just want to say that because you might be like, oh my gosh, all her kids have issues. It's genetic, right? Some, some kids all have, all have diabetes or asthma. My kids all have anxiety and OCD. It's how it goes. But for a while I had to work on just communication with him. He didn't want to, he was ashamed. He didn't want to talk about it. You know, it just, he's a different person than my daughter. And so I would just have to talk to him about other things that he was interested in or talk about his feelings in general. How was your day? And I had to connect with him before he could trust me and before he could open up and communicate. I had to like bite my tongue and not say things so that it was a safe place to communicate. And that's an ever evolving thing with kids in general My daughter stopped talking to me for a while or, you know, she's turning into a tween and she's only nine. So that's, that's, that's concerning, but she, you know, sometimes now doesn't want to tell me like who she has a crush on, which is fine. I'm not that like over-involved parent that like needs to know everything, but I also want to make sure that she can tell me the things that she struggles with. So I'm very keyed into our communication and making sure that it's as solid as it can be. And so like with my son for a while, he wasn't communicating. Then I had to work on motivation. He wasn't motivated to work on his eating at all. And so I had to find what could motivate him. And so I would educate him. You can earn blah, blah, blah. If you watch this YouTube video that happened to be mean, (laughs) that happened to be mine, which is very sad when you're bribing your kid to watch a YouTube video that you made (laughs) because they won't listen to you in person. But because it was on YouTube, he was more likely to watch it. And so I could, and it's not bribing. I use that very like tongue in cheek because I'm very big in reinforcing brave behavior. And so just watching something to educate them might be too much for them. So we have to reinforce that and say, I know that's really hard for you to watch. And they might say, it's boring. It's just stupid, but really it's scary. I don't want to talk about my problems because I don't want to think about my problems. I want to ignore that they exist. And so just watching a video on my problem is progress. That is me doing something because my child's learning about their issue. And even if they say that was stupid or I learned nothing or that didn't help, or I don't have that problem. It doesn't matter what they say. It's in there. It's a seed. It can be planted. It can grow. And that's what we want to do. And eventually over time with him, he realized what grows his OCD, what doesn't, we mapped it out. 
We mapped out exposures. And now he tells me when he does exposures, mom, this was just last night, mom, I'm really, I'm feeling nauseous. And my OCD saying I'm full, but I'm going to eat this one last chicken because I know, um, we always joke that you want to get the last bite and you don't want OCD to tell you when to have the last bite. It's kind of like a play on words, like who gets the last word. It's who gets the last bite. And so he said, OCD is not going to get the last bite. And so he took another bite and he ate the last one. He said, I ate them all. I wasn't even coaching him. That's him because he wants to gain weight. He doesn't want OCD anymore. And so now he's, that doesn't mean my job as a coach is over. It just means that he's self-running and I can sit in the background and just kind of support him. So that's the ultimate goal. My kids still struggle with anxiety and OCD, but now my job as the coach is to cheerlead them and to ask them those questions that get them to think, what do you think you should do? What would help with this in this moment? What's one step you can take? And that gets them to answer it for themselves, which gets them to take action. Ultimately, that's our role. And ultimately that's our job. That's what we want to do is to coach the coacher. (laughs) That made no sense. We want to coach them to become their own coach. That sounds a little bit better. All right. Well, I hope that you found this helpful. I hope this kind of like gives you some clarity in my muddiness and kind of empowers you to empower your child and to realize that getting your kids to sit in discomfort is ultimately the thing that's going to help their long-term prognosis. Um, My kids, sometimes I will tell them, just don't worry about it or just don't do it. And they'll say, no, mom, I don't want OCD to get stronger. I'm going to do it. And so I find that they're even braver than I, than I expect or want them to be some of the time because they're driving their own car now. That's what we want. So I hope that you're finding my episodes helpful. If you are, don't forget to hit a star on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcasts. If you want to leave a review, I appreciate that. And to show my gratitude, I always try to end reading one of them if there is one to read. So On Friday, last Friday, I think someone wrote, so thankful. Thank you so much, Natasha, for sharing. You make these overwhelming issues easier to understand, and you've given me hope in helping my son. I'm very sorry for the loss of your husband. You and and your children are in my prayers. And I appreciate that. Thank you so much. So if you leave a review, maybe I'll read your review next time. Uh, I also want to say thank you to a couple of you who bought stuff from my kids' Etsy store. (laughs) One of the things that's really helping all of my kids is they're very artistic. And I don't know where they get it from because they definitely don't get it from me. So my oldest daughter is an incredible artist and she does realism. She's 17 and she has, she does Fiverr, which some of you may not know what Fiverr is, but my youngest son, not my youngest son, I only have one son, but my son, who's 11, got really good at making jewelry. He makes like these wrapped necklaces and he also makes blankets, but he only has one blanket right now on his Etsy store. But he's wanted an Etsy store forever. And I told him no, because he really needed to make, it had to be like decent enough for him to actually open a store. So I talked about it a couple of episodes ago and a couple of you, and I recognized your names from some of you were in the AT Parenting community, bought his stuff. And I really appreciate you supporting his store because when our kids feel empowered and they're doing stuff, like he's so proud of his store it's really inflated his like, and not inflated in a bad way, but it's really helped his self-worth to feel like I have a business. He brought his business cards to school. (laughs) You know, it's so cute. So I did buy him a URL because a couple of you emailed me and were like, I can't find it on Etsy. And so knowing how to do websites, 
So if you're interested in looking at his website and supporting his work, he will put new necklaces up once in a while. I feel like I'm like a a Girl Scout mom, but for Etsy. But it's XanderCraftsStore.com. And that's uh, Xander with an X is his name. So Xander Crafts Store. And I appreciate those of you that have supported him. You are awesome. So I hope that you find a sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you guys again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.